Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Irene, for ministering the music. In light of the message of the song, goes along with what we want to discuss this morning. We've been discussing Mark, but this morning we're going to deviate from Mark and we're going to talk a little about work, talk a little about labor. Some of you have lived your life and, you know, basically worked and you're retired. As you reflect back on that, do you consider that something good or something you endured? If you're in the process of working, is that a good thing? Or are you in God's second best? But let's interact with God's Word. William Wilberforce was a contemporary with George Washington. He lived from 1759 to 1833. Wilberforce spent his life in England, Washington, and the United States of America. Wilberforce is described as a Washington of humanity. He was born in 1759, the only son of a very prosperous family of merchants in Hull, a large seaport city in the northeast coast of Great Britain. He was influenced very greatly by John Newton. John Newton was a preacher and former slave captain. And until the age of 12, Wilberforce, again, was influenced very deeply by Newton. At Cambridge, as he was in school, he lived a life of party and entertainment. He got involved in politics with William Pitt. He was counseled by Newton when he was considering going into the ministry, going into full-time Christian service, as we refer to it today. Newton said, Wilberforce, your life would be better invested in politics. And he followed that counsel and spent his life serving God as a politician. Three days before his death in 1833, he received a visitor who told him that Parliament voted that day to outlaw slavery. He fought his entire life as a working man for God's glory. What is your view of work? We have 168 hours a week. If we spend eight hours a night in sleep, that's 56 hours sleeping a week. 50 hours of work if you work an eight-hour day and it takes a little time to get ready and get there and back. 14 hours in eating, 48 hours in whatever. But probably half of your waking hours are spent in working. What does the Bible say about work? Is work sacred? What did the so-called great people God used down through the pages of history do in terms of work? Is work part of the curse of Genesis 3? One of the single most powerful statements people will ever make in life for the cause of Christ, for good or bad, is how they do their work. Now think about that. One of the single most powerful statements people will ever make in life for the cause of Christ, for good or bad, is how they do their work. Hmm? 
What does God say about work? Look at a variety of passages. We'll start with Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, in chapter 1 we find God is creating the heaven and the earth. And Genesis 1 and verse 26 says, Genesis 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Male and female were created in God's image. What does God's image involve? Look at verse 31 of chapter 1. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing on this. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he had rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God worked six and then rested on the seventh day. In chapter 2 and verse 15 of Genesis, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from the tr any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam's primary mandate was to work. Part of the image of God is work. Adam and Eve being made in the image of God, giving a mandate to work, to care for the garden, to live God's image involves work. Genesis 1 and 2 obviously are before the fall. So work is part of God's original creation. When I say original creation, before the fall, it's a good thing. It's part of God's image. Look at chapter 3 and verse 17. Adam and Eve have chosen not to trust God. And the curse is being given to Adam here. Genesis 3 and verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The curse involves painful toil. It involves thorns. It involves sweat, but work is still present. Work was present before the fall. Work takes on a different connotation because of the fall, and that is there's sweat, there's toil, there's thorns, and there's thistles, and so on. It's interesting that apparently Adam was a farmer. 
Let's go to Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis 13, we have an account of Abraham. We're not going to read a large portion of the account, but God called Abram from Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram apparently was a keeper of flocks and herds because Genesis 13 and verse 5 says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, Lot was Abraham's nephew, also had flocks and herds. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. The only thing I want to point out is that Abraham, or Abram, Abram later became Abraham, his life apparently was devoted to flocks and herds. What did he do? What did he spend his entire life doing? Apparently taking care of herds and flocks. The father, if you please, of the nation of Israel. Let's look at his son Isaac in chapter 26 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 26. Verse 12, where we find his son Isaac. And again, we're leaping into the context, and I understand that. Genesis 26 and verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Just want you to notice that Isaac, Abraham's son, took care of crops, flocks, and herds. That was his labor. That was his work. Go over to chapter 32. We have Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob comes along. Genesis 32 and verse 13. This is before Jacob is going to meet Esau. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. Obviously, as you read the context, Jacob spent his life working, caring for flocks and herds. Let's go a little bit further in Genesis to chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We know that Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons was Joseph. We know that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. What did he do? Genesis 39. Pick up with verse 22. He is in prison Genesis 39, 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison 
and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anyone or to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Some scholars would believe that Joseph probably spent 13 years before he came to prominence in Egypt, much of that time being in prison. So what was his work? Well, he worked for a period of time, and then he's in prison and in charge of people in prison. Go over to chapter 41 and verse 41. Joseph has interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. So in verse 41 of chapter 41, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. God talks quite often about the fact that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what did those men do? Their life, they worked. Were they in sacred work or secular work? Sacred. Joseph comes on the scene. And what is he? He's a leader in prison. He's a second in command in Egypt. We can go over to the book of Exodus in chapter 3, and we find the account of Moses. Children of Israel, after Joseph ended up in slavery in Egypt for some 400 years, and we know that Moses, at least for the first 40 years of his life, was considered the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Chapter 2 and verse 10. When the child grew older... She, the one who was looking after Moses as he was a baby, took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the waters. The first 40 years of the life of Moses was apparently spent in Egypt, training, leading, becoming very proficient as a speaker, and so on. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Media. And we know that Moses ended up killing an Egyptian. He was afraid Pharaoh would find out, so he fled into the desert. He'd get married and apparently was a shepherd for 40 years. That was his work. And then we know that the final 40 years of his life, he led the nation of Israel. You want to say a politician, if you please? a leader of a nation. We come to David. David was a shepherd and then a king. Let's go to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 and verse 9, Satan is appearing before God and God introduces the issue or subject of Job. 
The Lord had said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan said, you know, I've come from roaming throughout the earth and going back and forth. And in verse 8, we find, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on the earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed him, or you have blessed the work in his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Job obviously had herds and flocks and so on. And we know that he lost that because God gave Satan permission to take it from him. We know that he lost his children. His wife said to him, curse God and die. But as a farmer, if you please, as a carer of sheep and flocks, he remained faithful. What happened? God blessed him. The latter part of his life, more than the first, he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Let's take our Bibles and go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, we find that Paul talks about being in Christ, that in Christ we have life, we have redemption, we have forgiveness, we have reconciliation, and so on. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, he talks about living in Christ in daily life. And in chapter 6 and verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. Just as you would obey Christ, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward every one for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. And you will find in Colossians chapter 3, something very, very similar, or similar is stated. Slaves, obey. Masters, treat your slaves properly. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we find that Paul says, make it your ambition to... Mind your own business, live a quiet life, and to work with your hands. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we find Peter again addresses slaves, and he talks about work. In light of the passages we referred to, in our culture today, in Christian culture, we have a tendency to talk about full-time Christian service 
Maybe one who wants to plant churches, an evangelist, a missionary, or a pastor. And then we talk about other people, part-time Christian service, an accountant, artist, carpenter, cook, farmer, and so on. So those who are in part-time Christian service have to do their work. But they're kind of second best because they're not in full-time Christian service. And that mentality has become very strong. So most people spend half of their waking hours doing part-time Christian service. You just work. Let's draw some applications from what we have discussed. Work is part of God's image. There is no secular, or no sacred, and no secular. I may be in what is called full-time Christian service, but I'm not doing anything more sacred than Abraham or Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, or Job, or slaves, or masters. It is all sacred. In work, whatever type it is, you're living out God's calling, reflecting God's image. Consider the people that God called. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They took care of flocks. They took care of herds. They're part-time Christian servants, (laughs) as we might say today, which I think is not correct. Work by humans is living God's image. So tomorrow, Tuesday, Tuesdays, you get up and go to work. Think about the fact that this is an opportunity, this is a day for me to live out God's image as I work in God's sacred work. To work is to obey God and display His image. I remember when I shared with some people that I was had a desire to become a pastor. I got a couple feathers in my hat. Because I'm going to go into, quote unquote, full-time Christian service. So that's a misunderstanding. To work is to obey God and display His image. Blossom where you are in your work. Be content. Whether it's a homemaker, whether it's a nurse, whether it's a laborer, whatever. Take Christ to your place of work as there's open doors. Share Christ. For God's glory. See, work 
is not part of the curse. There is not sacred work. There is not secular work. Work is to reflect God's image. And it is a reflection of God's image. So I think we can better say that you have a preacher, a carpenter, an artist, a teacher, a musician, a homemaker, a nurse, a church planner, a mechanic, a theologian. They're all called. And they're all in full-time Christian service. So the sacred, the missionary, the pastor, the church planner, and so on, and the farmer, and the truck driver, and the carpenter, and the nurse, and the doctor, the homemaker, We have put a divide. And God says, it's not there. My father, later years of his life, someone came up to him and said, hey, Jake, what did you spend your life doing? Well, I took care of a farm in Snyder County. For how many years? Well, almost 40. Well, then what did you do? Well, I retired from farming and I worked in a chicken plant for a period of time. Well, then what did you do? Well, when my health got bad enough, I quit that and I tried to just live. And the person talking to dad said, hey, Jake, you just worked your entire life. And suppose my dad would have said, but please understand, for some 40 years in the farm, for those years I was in the chicken plant, I reflected God's image. I was living out God's call in my life to work. Ponder that. Work. Whatever job you may have is not second best. Whether it's a pastor or whether you're a carpenter, whether you're a homemaker, you take care of the house, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a physician, whether you drive a forklift or you drive a truck, whatever you do, see it as living out God's calling to reflect God's image for his glory. I say this very, very strongly with tremendous encouragement. I've talked to a lot of people in this community that are open to what God has to say because Some of you work for God's glory. Talk to some people, and, uh, you know, being a preacher, they expect you to talk some about God, you know. I try to buy up on that. You know, 
I think so-and-so goes to your church, don't they? Yeah. I know them. I know what kind of work they do. I know how they work. I think I'll listen to you. I can give you quite a few examples, and I can mention names of people sitting here this morning, more than one. Because of the way you work, the way you respond on the job, that others have had opportunity to talk to your coworkers or someone that knows about your work. And for some of you that are retired, your work in the past. So that's living out God's calling. We say, I just work. Don't say that. I just work. That sounds like, you know, it's not very good. I get the privilege, the joy of reflecting God's image as I work, whatever your work is, and see it as that. One of the single most powerful statements people will ever make in life for the cause of Christ, for good or bad, is how they do their work. Abraham was a worker. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph... None of them had the title, what we call, full-time Christian service. But yet they're the ones who God called as the fathers of the nation of Israel. Job, who we hold up as one who went through suffering, was not, quote-unquote, in full-time Christian service. He just took care of animals and managed his servants. And you can go on and give examples of others. Half of your waking hours are an opportunity to display the image of God as you live with Christ as your life. Work is sacred in that it is part of God's image. Live it. Respond in light of that. If you're, quote, unquote, an average worker or were an average worker, you're not in inferior work. You're reflecting God's image, whatever form of work you were in or are in at the present time. Let's pray together. Father, pray for those of us who work. Some of us may be retired and not in, quote-unquote, a full-time position of work. May we lay aside the sacred, secret, sacred, secular divide and see all work as sacred living out your image. I pray too, Father, for those of us present this morning that we will understand Christ in us, that the power that raised Christ from the dead, the power that is at work within us beyond what we can ask or comprehend, how that power looks 
in our daily life on the job. I pray, Father, that you might give those of us who work a spirit of wisdom and understanding so that we might know you better in the context of daily work. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we might understand your power and how that applies to working as unto you, working with excellence, how it applies to relationships on the job and so on. We want to be a people in our daily life as we live out your image in work. We're walking worthy of our calling by being humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. We want to be a people, Father, that are working at our salvation in our work life with fear and trembling because you're at work in us while we're on the job. We want to be a people that is working without arguing or complaining. May those of us who work, Father, have wisdom and creativity as we live out your calling to us. And as there are opportunities, Father, may we buy them up to point people to Christ. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.